listening to Cup of Dow with your host, Chris L. McClish. Chris is a man with many roles, many journeys, and one spirit. Hey, welcome to the show today. Glad you can make it for this first introductory podcast on Cup of Dow. This is going to be a podcast if you like things like mindfulness, Eastern philosophy, particularly uh, Taoism, and contextual psychology. If you don't know what that is, that's perfectly okay. Who am I? Um, I'm Chris L. McClish. I have been a judo teacher for many, many years. I've been a psychotherapist for, wow, about 30 years. Um, Recently, I've kind of semi-retired. Glad to have you with us. Don't forget to subscribe to my show in your podcast player app or to the RSS feed. You can find my email address, contact information, a disclaimer, and more information in the show notes. So please check those out. All right, let's get into some stuff. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about stress. Do you have any stress in your life? Really? (laughs) I think everybody does. Um, You know, I... I'm not one that hasn't had any suffering. I've had a lot of suffering. I've had those calls in the middle of the night and things that really uh, caused me a lot of fear and worry and concern. And as a psychotherapist, people would come in, I think every time someone would come in and they wanted to get rid of something, you know, they wanted to get rid of my sadness, my depression, um, anger. And one of the big ones was, I need to get rid of my anxiety. I need to get rid of all the stress on my plate. I've had a lot going on. So whether it's grief, sadness, anger, whatever it was, people would come in seeking to get rid of it. You know, I don't, I have all this stuff on my plate. I have this in my mind. It's bothering me. What can I do about it? How can I get rid of it? And, you know, you look around, you see all these books, you see all these, uh, even other podcasts, you see things on the web that say things like, You can be happy no matter what. You can have peace no matter what's going on in your life. I say bullcrap. So why go to therapy? Why read self-help books? Why listen to this podcast? Why listen to anything? Is there nothing you can do about those things? Well, fortunately, there is something you can do. But let me say this first. You ever notice that when you try to get rid of something, It seems like it makes it stronger, doesn't it? I first noticed this early into my uh, psychotherapy career when I was a, I guess you could call it a rookie psychotherapist. A lady came to me. I don't remember her name and because of confidentiality, I wouldn't want to anyway, but let's just say Sharon. And Sharon said, I have panic attacks. They hit me all the time. I have these horrible, debilitating panic attacks. feels like I'm having a heart attack into the ER several times uh, for fear that uh, I was dying and she wanted help with that. And at that time, cognitive therapy was becoming very popular. And uh, I tried every technique I could, everything I was throwing at her to help her, you know, jot down her thoughts, look at the thoughts that were causing her anxiety. We even tried um, some relaxation techniques, which I still to them this day, I'm a big fan of, but with her, none of that stuff was working. 
And what I didn't tell her is at the time, I was having really bad panic attacks as well. When I would go into large groups and have to do group therapy, I would uh, stumble over my words. I'd get really nervous and shaky. And then sometimes I'd go home and I too would feel like I was having a heart attack. I had a, a heck of a time dealing with these panic attacks. I was trying all the techniques that I had read about and heard about from other therapists, and none of that stuff seemed to work for me either. So it was a very scary time. The funny thing, well, it wasn't funny at the time. I, uh, I kind of gave up trying to help her. I tried to convince her, hey, maybe you need to see another therapist. Maybe, uh, maybe you should try something else. I was really feeling like, you know, Chris, you suck. You're not able to help this lady. You're not even able to help yourself. So how could you expect to help someone else? And uh, the interesting thing is I didn't say it in exactly those words, but I did, you know, I didn't say I give up on you. I can't help you, lady. Sorry. Um, but I did send her the message that maybe we should try some other direction or at that time, there was not really any anxiety centers, but I encouraged her to go to other people. She didn't want to. Um, you know, uh, she wanted to stay with me. I said, you know, that's fine, but I, I just don't know if I can do anything about this. I don't know what you can do. She went home and it was really interesting. I think it was a week later. She called back and she said, wow, it's working. What you did worked. And I said, what I did, boy, I was like looking through my notes and everything. I was like, what was it that I told her? You know, what could possibly I have said? I thought I pretty much gave up. I, I don't know what I did. She said, I went home and I thought, you know, I think I'm just going to have to live with this anxiety. It's not going to kill me, but it's something that, you know, it's just, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. She kind of had this bring it on baby attitude, make my heart race up to 120, 130 beats per minute. Do what you got to do. And she said the first night was hell. But then after that, the anxiety started to lessen. It got less severe and started to occur less during the week. Now, keep in mind, it was only a week without severe anxiety, but it was a good start. And over time, back then you could see clients for six months to a year without insurance cutting them off. Over time, she noticed that by kind of inviting a panic attack, the panic attacks didn't want to come. It's kind of like, uh, you know, if somebody wanted to stay at your house and uh, if you said, don't stay, but here, have the master bedroom, help yourself to the fridge, I'm going to take a vacation, they might stay quite a long time. But if you say, there's some gunny sacks out in the garage, go ahead and just stay out there take care of the roach problem while you're at it, if you could, they might not stay very long. And that's kind of what Sharon and I figured out what had happened to her. 
But interestingly enough, the panic attacks did come back. So then we were kind of back to the drawing board again. And what we found was she had thought that she, well, it's hard to explain this, but she had thought that she'd beaten the panic attacks and that she had control over them. And so that's why they kind of decided to come back. She had this thought that, uh, this belief that, you know, now that I'm over them, my life is better and I can't have these coming back because if they come back, they'll ruin my life. You see how that works? It's kind of like um, when people uh, are having a panic attack and they try to lower their pulse, they do what their therapist tells them and breathe deeply and try to lower their pulse and they get out the blood pressure cuff and you think, okay, I got to get this, got to get this anxiety down, got to get my heart rate down. I got to breathe deeply. Like the therapist said, um, what do you think that does to the anxiety? Does it make it better? Or is it kind of like taking gasoline and adding it to the fire? So that's kind of what we figured out is the more she thought I can't have these or the more she became confident that I've beaten these and I can't handle having them again. It was kind of the fear of having panic attacks again that invited them. So she learned and guess what? So did I. I learned a weird way around the anxiety back then that the way out was through. Now, I couldn't just tell this to patients that came in or clients when they, when I was working at hospitals, you know, I had to call them patients or they were referred to as patients, anybody that came to see me, but any client I had in psychotherapy, I couldn't just say, Hey, you know, um, the way out is through, or you're just going to have to live with this. That, that wouldn't work. Even if I would have said to clients when they first came to see me, the way out of something is through it, or try this, try inviting it, try observing, uh, that this becomes another technique to try to get rid of something. And then what did we just say about trying to get rid of something? The more you try to get rid of something, the more it doesn't work usually. Not in all cases. Cog I'm not... Uh, I'm not trying to disparage people from getting cognitive behavioral therapy. It's one of the most popular therapy forms, and it helps a lot of people. But for some people, trying to get rid of something causes it to become stronger. So, so what do you do? Um, and even if a person mentally grasped the concept I was telling them that, uh, the more you try to fight it, the worse it makes it. Sometimes I would still get that after a couple of weeks. I went home, I did what you said, and it didn't work. Well, what do you mean it didn't work? Well, I just invited the panic attacks. Um, I observed them, but I'm still having them. They're still destroying my life. It wasn't working. So they took what I said, again, as a technique to try to get rid of. See the vicious cycle that's created there? By using even what I was trying to teach, uh, that became another attempt to try to get rid of something, which fueled it. And late in my psychotherapy career, I started seeing clients that a lot of therapists had tried every technique in the book, everything that they could, and uh, 
without success. And these were not bad therapists. These were people I knew in the community that were very successful therapists with most clients. So they tried um, the traditional forms of therapy and some people didn't respond. So what I did is I didn't want to add to just another failed technique. I didn't want to do the same thing of trying to get rid of something. So what did I do? Uh, the same things I'm going to tell you. In this podcast, I want you to hear some of the same things that I've told other people. Even I've had a psychotherapist and psychiatrist as clients. Now, this is not a traditional self-help podcast. This is also not something where I'm giving you the magic fix or I'm telling you, you do this and your life will be better. Because again, it goes back to the more you try to get rid of something, the worse it makes it. Instead, I kind of want you to see what I'm talking about today with stress as this is an idea to add. Treat this with open curiosity. I'm going to do something different than I had been doing before. And I'm not going to expect that my stress and anxiety is going to magically disappear. I'm just going to observe and see what happens. So other than having people observe and be open, what did I tell people? And what do I use on myself to this day? And that answer comes from Taoist influences. And one of those things is the concept of what's now known, and it's becoming very popular. It's called mindfulness, being open and aware and observing things. So how does that help and how does that work? Well, let me tell you a little bit. You notice that your mind is always with you. It's always that critic that observer, that problem solver, that sometimes gives you good advice and sometimes doesn't. And that's why it's hard to tell when you can trust your mind and when you can't. But it's that mental critic that says, ah, you shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have did that. Uh, this is a terrible situation. Man, my life sucks. Um, everything's going bad. Why does this stuff always happen to me? Sound familiar? Your mind loves to do that. It's good at problem solving, interpreting, comparing, and it spends a lot of your waking hours doing so. So one thing you want to do with mindfulness is be able to kind of not buy in to some of that stuff that your mind's throwing at you, to not believe it as much. Now, traditional therapists, sometimes they call this uh, positive versus negative thinking or rational versus irrational thinking. I don't see it that way because something can, you know, or, or true versus untrue thinking, something can be positive and true, but not be healthy. You know what I mean? For example, if I was trying to become more healthy, lose weight, feel better. And I went to a fast food joint and I was thinking about getting a big greasy burger it might be true that I, if I eat that burger, I might not have a heart attack. I might be just fine today. But is that a healthy belief? So I like to divide thoughts into two categories. Healthy versus unhealthy. Or productive versus unproductive. 
Um, I, so I don't like to say positive versus negative or rational versus irrational. So with mindfulness, we're going to train our mind. We're going to try to uh, actually not necessarily train our mind, but train a part of it, an observer, an observing part of the mind. We want to step outside of ourselves as if we're seeing our life and our thoughts as being separate from us. Does that kind of make sense? So that you're not fused with them. So I'd like to sum it up with four categories uh, or four parts of this. And I call it the four L's. Look, listen, label, and let it be. And here's how it goes. Look. So you look at the situation, just the facts, with as little interpretation as possible. Listen. What is your mind telling you? And I've often asked people in the therapy session, what is your mind telling you right now to try to get them to see that their mind is separate from who they are, that they're able to see their own thoughts, that they're able to... Um, you know, be an observer to those. So look, listen, then label. What is my mind doing to me? What am I doing? Am I depressing myself right now? Am I getting anxious? So my mind is depressing me. My mind is making me anxious. And then the last step, let it be. And that doesn't mean just uh, ignore, or I don't know how you'd want to put this, it doesn't mean live with it so much. It means I can just see this as being separate from me. My thoughts are not me. They're just thoughts. My feelings are not me. They're just feelings. Now, does that help you in a very scary situation or a very anxious situation? No, right now we're not talking about a technique to help. We're talking about cultivating something. So you're trying to cultivate mindfulness through practice. And it's not something you want to wait until something serious in your life to do. You want to start doing it now. You want to start doing it as much as you can. And mindfulness can be just like anything else. It can be a bad thing if you're not here in the present moment, if you're trying too hard to be mindful. So try to um, practice mindfulness when you're not in both situations that are stressful, but you don't want to practice it also when you're wanting to enjoy the moment. You want to be able to practice it before those things so it becomes second nature. And that's something Leiatsu called Wu We or Wu Wei. I don't know how exactly it's pronounced W U W E I. And that's kind of like when you're, um, you know, when you rehearse piano practice so much that you're able to play the piano and you're not thinking about the keys that you're hitting or when you're driving somewhere and you're so into the beauty around you or your thoughts that you kind of lose the individual steps of how you got to your destination. You just somehow remember leaving your house and then the next minute you're at your destination. So we want to be able to Get that good at mindfulness. And you can start with uh, the look, listen, label, let it be.
So maybe um, somebody says something to you that upsets you or you're not invited to something, an event, a family event. You think, okay, man, you listen to that mental critic. So you look, the situation is I wasn't invited to this event. Listen, what is my mind telling me right now? Nobody really cares about me. Um, I must be nothing in everybody's eyes. I'm insignificant. I'm constantly being ignored. So that's the listen. Label. You know, my mind's feeding into this. It's adding additional stress on top of the stress from the situation. Because life truly does bring us stress. That's another problem I have with all these, you can be happy, you can be at peace no matter what. There are situations out there, situations that bring all of us down. So you want to be able to kind of step back a little bit and tell your mind, okay, you're adding on to problems that are already there. You're not helping me right now. You're making things worse. You're depressing me. Something I enjoy from acceptance and commitment therapy, a type of therapy that uh, does a lot of mindfulness skills practice with clients is to thank your mind, to say, okay, you know, kind of treat it like it's a, a teenager with an obnoxious opinion. You know, thank you for that thought, but we're going to do this instead. Another part of this is doing some healthy behaviors, despite what your mind is telling you. So even though I wasn't invited to this one thing, I'm going to go do something else that was fun. I'm going to have a blast. So your mind says you're worthless. Nobody cares about you. And instead of making it worse and telling somebody off or doing a destructive behavior, I'm going to do something healthy despite what my mind tells me. Some people with anxiety problems will avoid going to places, avoid going to crowded places, avoid going to family events, avoid participating in some really meaningful life experiences because of fear of having anxiety or even worse, having a panic attack. The thing of it is, though, then you're letting your thoughts and your feelings bully you. Now you're probably thinking, okay, Chris, um, so what do I do? Uh, you just say, go ahead and go and have a panic attack. Go ahead and go and have my anxiety. Well, look at the alternative. Every time you don't go and you don't participate in those meaningful anxiety, uh, meaningful activities, aren't you reinforcing? Aren't you letting the anxiety win? You are trading something meaningful for giving in to your anxiety. So being mindful would be going to these things anyway. Your mind says, no, I can't go. I'm going to be anxious. I'm going to have a panic attack. People will look at me. It'll be terrible. I might even pass out. Everything will be bad. But we can tell our mind, no, you're not going to bully me. I'm going to go ahead and go. I'm going to try to do the best I can. If you want to come along, that's fine. But you can try to throw what you can at me and maybe you'll win. 
by making me anxious at this event, but I'm still going to go and participate. It's that important to me. And it's a difficult job as a therapist to get people to go out and do things that they otherwise wouldn't because they would give in to their anxiety. Just like when I had people that were severely depressed and they would say, I can't, I, I'm so depressed. I can't get out of bed. I can't go to the bookstore. I can't go to the coffee shop because my depression is so bad. I can't get out of bed. But what happens then? How likely is their depression going to get better if they're staying in bed? It's that vicious cycle. I can't get out of bed because of my depression. I can't go to this event because of my anxiety. Then the depression gets worse. The anxiety gets worse. So you have to be brave. You have to be willing to put yourself in situations that are uncomfortable. We like to do what I call the ACE agenda, A-C-E, avoidance, control, and escape. We like to avoid situations and things that we feel will cause us suffering, pain, or stress. We like to control things. We like to control situations that sometimes are outside our control. And we like to escape. And we can escape all kinds of ways through sleep, through drugs, through alcohol, um, there are so many ways to escape. So part of becoming more mindful and handling stress better is to try to bust this ACE agenda, to try to get past it and through it. All right. So what does all this stuff have to do with Taoist principles? Well, with Taoism, I wanted to introduce you to mindfulness because Taoism influenced Zen Buddhism, and you can see tones of Taoism in modern psychology. The idea of following the natural order of things and the concept of acceptance, not trying to go against the natural order of things or not trying to go against the grain, but to go with the natural cycles, to accept, to see life as being a great teacher a great mystery, and a great teacher. I'll end it there for today. I want to come back to the concepts of mindfulness and the ACE agenda, avoidance, control, and escape periodically throughout this uh, podcast series. I hope you got something out of this today. Um, I really thank you for listening. Be sure and purchase my book. Accepting Life on Life's Terms, Taoist Psychology for Today's Uncertain Times. Look for the book wherever you buy books. Available in written and digital format. Once again, thank you for listening, and I will see you on the next episode. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. Practice the look, listen, label, and let it be. Practice some mindfulness. Be open and aware today. Don't let those precious moments of life go by unnoticed. Thank you.
Thanks for listening. Have a good day. This podcast is a Coach CMC production.